Thank you for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help you win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, come and see us and join the Passion Church family. Visit our Facebook page or our website at passionchurchmo.com to find out more about us. Last week we talked about the 12 shades of gray. It was really just 12 points about things in the Word of God that uh, are a gray area. There are certain things, believe it or not, that are gray. There are things that aren't necessarily mentioned as to whether they're good or they're bad, and so we're left at, at times with our own discernment. And how oftentimes we'll take a thought or an idea or a legalism that we have built around a religious concept and try to force that on people around us. And uh, sometimes we, we can actually put a bondage on somebody because we want them to believe exactly the way that we believe about a particular issue. And uh, last week, we learned to major on the majors, right? Are you still the same crowd? (laughs) We learned to major on the majors and to minor on the minors. In other words, if it's not a heaven or hell issue, let's not make it some big argument within the body of Christ. There are certain things in the canonization of God's Word that are absolutes, and we need to stick to the absolutes, the moral parameters of the Word of God we must stick with. They are defined by God. Sin issues we must stick with. They are defined by God. We're also commanded to do good and to pray for our enemies, and these things we must stay with. But there are other things that that we really don't know, such as and I threw this out last week, but gambling is not defined in the Word of God as to whether it is good or bad. We even see religious people in the Bible who would do things we would consider gambling today by casting lots and doing things that, that we would think was gambling. Yet there was, in ancient times, there was, there was use for those things. So we want to be careful not to beat people over the head over things that the Bible doesn't define as good or bad. Everybody with me so far? So based upon that, I want to go a little bit further in this line of thinking, uh, if we can, and I think we're going to end at a really, really good place. Everybody look at your watch. Moan right now because we're about to start, and who knows how long it'll be before we get done. Did you bring a sack lunch? Uh. (laughs) Uh, Romans, the seventh chapter, going to start with the seventh verse, no, seventh chapter, I'm sorry, and the 24th verse, 724, are you there? Oh, wretched man that I am. What a way to start in the word, right? This is Paul, and he's talking about the weakness that he finds within his own personal faculties. Anyone here relate to having a weakness within your own system? And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, I'm stuck in this thing that got cursed through Adam. And how many knows that your natural body has a few appetites? It has a few appetites. You've got to feed it and clothe it and take care of it and bathe it. Please bathe it. Please bathe it. And, and it has a, some appetites. And then our soulish realm, our mind, will, and emotions, our emotional makeup, the man, our intellectual makeup, also has needs. 
And along with those needs come sometimes temptations and weakness. And so Paul is describing here uh, the struggle that he has with his natural makeup versus the law of God. And so he's come to the conclusion in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. In other words, I was born in a fallen condition. I was born in a state of weakness. I was born in such a way that I need a deliverer. Oh, see, this is good news. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, don't misunderstand what's being said here because the story doesn't end here. What he's telling us in this is, I've discovered there's a weakness in me. And my heart, my mind, my desire is to serve God and to serve him diligently. But at times, I'm pulled away. At times, sin wants to creep in. At times, I get caught in a dilemma because my mind says serve God, but there's another side of my personality that wants to do things that it should not do. Anyone in this place ever been in that predicament? Please do not raise your hand right now. So here's the beauty. When the books of the Bible were written, you'll see numbers and divisions and chapter divisions, but they were not there originally. So the thought doesn't end in chapter 7 and verse 25. It moves on, on into chapter 8. This was one continuous letter. So we were left with him making the statement that I want to serve God, but I got a flesh problem. Now let's look at verse chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I don't know. This is beginning to get into shouting territory right here. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in who? Us. Did you know the law can be fulfilled in us? Why? Because of Christ Jesus. If we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of of the Spirit. The word goes on in verse 6 to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7 tells us that if we're going to continually, continually live with a carnal mindset of fulfilling whatever it is that we desire to do in our natural man, in our natural state, not regarding God we will find ourselves as an enemy to God and not 
an ally to God. Are you with me so far? So this is, we're going to go somewhere today that's going to be, uh, I, I pray will be freeing for you. I have been trying to preach this message now for three and a half, four weeks. And every time I bring it to the pulpit, the Lord changes the direction. And I know why. Because he was waiting for me to preach last week's message so this, week, this message could follow today. So in Romans, the eighth chapter, the first through the third verse, it says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. I'm going to back up and say that one more time. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. The answer to what Paul is lamenting over in chapter 7 and verse 24 is, Oh, wretched man that I am, I can't seem to get this right. I tend to want to lean into things that get me into trouble. But the answer comes, for there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk in the spirit of Christ, who already took the sin issue out of the way, nailing it to the cross, taking it out of your pathway, that you might have the ability to live under a new law called the law of the spirit of life. Wow. So Christ, having fulfilled the law for me, has freed me from, from working to try to be good enough to earn salvation. Can I just let that hang in the air for a minute? There are so many factions out there that, that try in religious circles to earn God's favor, to earn God's goodness. I want you to understand that anything you try to earn with God is futile because he was crazy head over heels in love with you before you ever tried to attempt to come to him. He's wanted you all along. Don't waste your effort trying to be good enough because we've already figured out that man in a fallen condition will never be good enough for God. But he has made up the hedge. He has made a bridge between God and man. Jesus our Lord, our Savior, is the one who set us free from the law of sin and death. I no longer have to live under some burdensome law, but I can live in Christ in freedom. I'm having fun already. So the law was given because man in his original condition in the Garden of Eden didn't need a law. He didn't need laws. He lived every day God would come and commune with him and walk with him and talk with him, and he didn't need law. And the only law given to Adam was of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were placed in the midst of the garden. Had he eaten from the tree of life, there probably would have never been an issue. But because he ate from the tree of not good enough. That's what the enemy said to him. This is what the enemy said to Eve. Oh, really? Oh, really? You don't eat from that tree? You know why? Because 
You're going to be godlike if you do. Not enough. The temptation, they were told, is you're not enough. And religion has spent thousands of years trying to be enough for God. We're still living under the curse of not enough. Not enough. The problem is, had we never ate from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we wouldn't even have any inkling there was something evil. What a life that would be. But because of it, we realized the first evil act was man defying God, trying to be more because he was tempted to believe he wasn't enough. And so man was started in this situation without the law. Once man fell, he had to figure out how to navigate life now without God walking with him daily. By the time we get to Noah's generation, God is wiping mankind almost completely off of the map because of the sin and the debauchery and the the rebellion that had been released in a lawless people. And God lamented and had to start over again. And it took him quite a while to look through the earth to find that one. And he found the one. God will always have a man in the earth who will serve him and love him. So through centuries and centuries of lawlessness, finally God released a nation that was born in slavery as a sign unto them that God has come and sent Christ Jesus to free us from the slavery of our sin. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture and a type of what God wanted to do all along through Christ Jesus. And after 400 years of slavery and bondage to Egypt, God raised up a leader called Moses who brought the law of God into man's life. The law was established to show us what morality is. The law was established to show us what civil law should be and how we should govern a society. The law is absolutely important and absolutely man needed it. But the law was also binding and burdensome. The law was religion at its weakest point. A list of regulations, traditions, and punishments for the breaking of the moral code of God. Now, so society without religion is lawless, and they think anything goes. This is why God had to wipe the world out at Noah's generation. Religion of the law of Moses was useful for establishing right and wrong for society. Both religious regulations and a system of morality is found in Leviticus, and you'll find everything from pure worship to idolatry and from fair business dealings to incest and bestiality. It's all spelled out in Leviticus, both good and bad. It tells us who we should lay with, who we should not lay with. It is all spelled out. So without the law, society didn't have a chance of pleasing God in our fallen condition. Who could say amen? 
If you don't know what the law is, you have no hope of pleasing God. So the law came in a good form to show us these are the ideals of the Heavenly Father. The ideals of the Heavenly Father are no one steals, no one lies, no one cheats, no one commits adultery. Everyone loves God. No one worships idols. These are the ideals of God. Yet man throughout history has perverted the laws and the morality of God over and over and over and over. And still today, if you go around the world, there are pagan societies that still worship foreign deities that have nothing to do with God Almighty. But the law, however burdensome it was, pointed man back to God. And so the law was absolutely essential. And it established God's ideals for man, as I've already mentioned. No one should lie, steal, covet, murder, commit adultery, and etc. God is holy and has a standard of expectation for mankind. This is a word we don't even say anymore. God is holy. And the word H-O-L-Y is not far from W-H-O-L-Y. He's whole. He's complete. In him, everything exists. In him, all of life turns. In him, the universe has been displayed out in the starry expanse of space. In him is everything. He is whole. He is complete. He is right. He is morally right. He is morally good. He is the lawgiver. He's the only one who's whole enough to truly establish the law. In him is everything we need. And we're doing okay so far. So. God is holy and his, he has a standard of expectation for mankind, but society has no regard for God or his law. That's why we see in America, I, won't, I don't know what's going on in other nations, none of my business, but in America, we're seeing a national divide in many ways. And we're even seeing a divide in the body of Christ. Because society is always deemed that there's a way that seemeth right unto man. But God, on the other hand, has a different expectation of mankind than society does. Society thinks that the law of God is too burdensome, too filled with tradition, too difficult, or we get on the other end of swinging the pendulum to the place where we can only please God if we do enough religious exercises. There are religions around the world that flail themselves and beat themselves until they bleed to try to appease God to say, I'm, am I suffering enough God, am I suffering enough? There are religions that, that, that go through all kinds of contortions. They, they do all kinds of rituals. They pin their bodies with pins. They do all kinds of things to appease their God, to say, am I enough yet, God? Am I enough? Have I done enough? 
is this good enough, God? Can, can I be acceptable to you? Is this all right? So society has no regard for God or his law. And the church of Moses was a fleshly work of man trying to appease God's ideals. So both leave us still not close enough to the master. Hmm. In fact, the church of Moses and his fleshly work is where we get the term works in the Bible. It is a very futile exercise of pious and pompous people putting on the air of holiness worked up by a false notion that they can actually keep the law. Everybody's looking at me like, what? Let me explain why it was futile. It was necessary, and God ordained it, and God placed it in society because society had no law. And society needed law. And the Israelites needed to know what is it that we need to do to be the people of God. But here's where it becomes a futile exercise. Because if you serve the law, then you have to serve every commandment of the law without fail. All 613 laws by the time Moses got done. God started with 10. Moses came off the mountain with 10. But somehow, by the time he got through, there were 613. And some of those laws, if we tried to keep them today, it's just plumb foolish. But Moses was trying to shape a nation, trying to shape a people, trying to shape holiness and righteousness and purity, trying to give us God's ideal. So think about 613 laws that you have to keep every one. And the only way that you could even possibly stay in the grace of the law was that every year, once a year, you had to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, or a turtle dove, or whatever you economically could afford that was acceptable by the religious practice of the day and the law of Moses to be sacrificed and have a blood covering that would cover you for a year and Hopefully, time didn't lapse in between. What happened if you got sick and couldn't make it to the temple that year and you didn't get a blood covering? So God made that provision that he would extend mercy through the covering of the blood so they could continue that endless cycle of attempt and failure at keeping the law. The law was good for instruction and direction, but it was flawed in its power or ability to deliver a man from his weakness. This is why the Old Testament is filled with such colorful stories of womanizing and drunkenness and idolatry and incest. And these are the patriarchs of the faith that I'm talking about. You didn't even catch that. Think about that. We're talking about the people we hold up as the shining example in the Old Testament of godliness and faith. At times, we're exactly what Paul is talking about. Oh, wretched man. I love God with all of my heart, but I can't behave. 
Is this all right? So we need the law to shape society into some type of civil order. And we needed the law to teach the church or the people of God what God's expectation in worship and conduct was. And we need Jesus to teach us the spirit of the law. Because the spirit is the intention or the heart of God in the law. Man's attempts at interpreting the law was to make the law burdensome and at times murderous. But thank God Jesus freed us from the law of sin and death. In other words, Jesus reshaped for us in his New Testament God's real desire towards us, that he loved us while we were yet sinners. That's why men like David and Samson were lifted up as God's champions. His heart was never to make life impossible for us. That is man's doing, but God's desire has always been the heart of worship. David had a heart after God. That's why God lifted him up as a champion even though there was great weakness in his flesh if you read his exploits don't act like David when he was acting a fool in his flesh but be sure to glean how his heart was always turned towards God and repentant in the moments of failure (laughs) I'm having fun I don't know if you are or not if you have your Bible real quickly turn with me to the book of John St. John, the book of John, the eighth chapter. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came unto him and sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we sh- that that such should be stoned but what sayest thou now they're tempting jesus this they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him but jesus he stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst." And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where, where, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. I want to give you an example of the spirit of life in action. Are you ready? In this story, society would say, what's wrong with loving the one you're with? If you're not with the one you love, 
love the one you're with. Sexual revolution, 1960s. It so infiltrated our society through our music and through the drug culture that it has become basically the law of society. Once, if, if a couple lived together before holy matrimony, in society that was looked down upon, now we don't even think twice about that. We don't even think twice. The church doesn't even hardly look at it. I'm really getting good at marriages. Huh? You know why? Because I want to help people. I don't want them to live in a condition or a situation that gets them into trouble. I want to help them. Help them quickly. Help them to get to a place where they can go forward in God. Not have anything hanging over their head. Any kind of, any kind of, of guilt or any type of feelings or sin hanging over them. But society in this story would say, what's wrong with her just loving the one she's with? And here's what they would do. This is what society would do. They would form a small interest group and protest the unfairness of God's law, that it trespasses upon their rights to be sexually active with whoever they choose. That's how man would interpret that. You all just, you guys are so holy today. How many recognize what I've just said? How many small interest groups are out there fighting for a right to violate the law of God? We have a right to do it our way. Well, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. But the end therein is destruction and death. And no one preaches this anymore but waiting on the other end of that failure is a sinner's hell. When there's no regard for God and no desire for God, and we know that God's mercy is great because we see in the Old Testament that God stayed with people who had all kinds of flaw in their personalities and in their flesh. And God's heart is that none should perish. But to violate his law, puts us in a place. Now, when I say his law, we're going to get to the New Testament spirit of the law. But if we're going to live in defiant of the grace that Jesus has extended to us, that's when we're in danger of hellfire. Are you with me so far? So in this case, the law of Moses as I said, it was a flawed system, said, kill her. You want to stop the problem? Kill her. The problem is demons don't stop tempting because you take a human out of the equation. They'll go to another human and tempt. Is this okay? So in this case, the law said to kill her. Do away with her sin. So the church elders would stone her. That was the law of sin and death. Mess up, you die. How many want to join church today? Right after church, I want you to stick around because right after our potluck, we're going to have a stoning. 
just wonder how many people would want to come and be a part of the church today. Mess up, you die. It's the law of sin and death. Now, in this particular case, this was a trap being laid for Jesus. And you, know, you want to know why? They brought the woman who was caught. Caught in the act of adultery. Where's the man? Whoa! The ladies in the house are going, yes! See, this was a trap. They wanted Jesus to say, yeah, go ahead and stone her, knowing that this was not the fullness of the fulfillment of the law. Both parties were condemned. Not just one. And, you know, I'm just going to make a suggestion. It's not in the canonization of the word. This is not gospel. Don't write this down. Could he have been standing in the crowd? Well, I felt that. Mm. Mess up, you die. So they're trying to lay this trap for Jesus. But now watch the spirit of life supersede the law of sin and death. They came to him and they said, see, Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus believed in the law. Jesus understood the law. Jesus was the only individual ever on earth, ever, who fulfilled 613 laws and did not violate them. That's why we don't understand the grace of God. And Jesus came to give us the true interpretation of the law because from Moses until Jesus, the law and the spirit of the law had been misinterpreted. Yes, God gave the law, but he didn't give the law for it to be a bondage. He gave the law for it to be a direction. But Jesus now comes with the face of the Father and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you look into my face, you will see the compassion of your heavenly Father. And I am here to display for you his intention. Yes, this woman, by the law, should die because sin brings death. You live in your sin long enough, it'll kill you. And it separates you from God. Yes, she deserves to be taken off the planet. Oh, I love how he handled this. And next week I'm going to finish this because there's more thoughts here. And I'm going to finish this. But I love the fact that he just kept writing in the sand. He didn't even stand up and look them eye to eye to hear their complaint. It's like, I just want to throw this out. It'll be in next week's message. Jesus doesn't listen to the accuser. We'll get deeper into that. We'll get deeper into that. Let me finish this. He says, go ahead. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Go ahead. But before you do, I could just feel the rocks in motion. Before you do, let the first one of you who has no sin be the first one to initiate the punishment. Let the first one of you who hasn't violated God's law. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Some scholars say, this is not canonized in the Word. Don't write this down. Some scholars believe that he was writing by discernment sins those men were involved in. They could stand there and see he knows. He knows. Ladies and gentlemen, when we fail God, he knows. He knows. But watch. Go ahead. Condemn her. Go on. Just be clean yourself. Be right. Don't you do this just out of an act of vengeance or to make yourself look better. If you're better than her, throw a stone. And he keeps writing. And then he stands up and he looks around and he goes, Woman, where's your accusers? Weren't you being condemned? Yes. But no man is standing here to condemn me now. Spirit of life. I'm not, make, I'm not putting you in her category. Neither, sweet lady, do I condemn you. For I, the priest, the high priest of heaven, understand the frailty of humanity. I've not bowed in sin, but I understand the temptation and what could pull you in that direction. And so I won't condemn you, which means if Jesus doesn't condemn me, neither does the Father. And no matter how much the law says I should be stoned, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus supersedes the punishment and the curse of the law. And the only individual ever slated with enough ability to fulfill the law is now standing in her path saying, I don't condemn you. I don't accuse you. I'm not against you. I am for you. Now remember, she was caught in the act. 
No condemnation from your accusers, then you will find no condemnation from me either. But he leaves her with this instruction. Now go and sin no more. Trying to keep the law all on your own, you can't do, but in the spirit of life, in the spirit of what Christ Jesus has done, I don't have to fear the breaking of the law because he's fulfilled it for me. All I got to do is back up into his grace and be empowered to say no now to the things that so easily beset me before. I find a strength beyond my strength, a power beyond my power, an ability beyond my ability to say no to what used to pull me in. Things that used to trap me and I couldn't quit suddenly at the acceptance of Christ into my heart stopped being an issue. Some of those things I had to work on a while. I didn't immediately become overnight, and neither will you. Some of those things, you see, Jesus told her, he gave her the instruction, go and sin no more. He didn't tell her, go and never be tempted again. He didn't say, go and never feel shame. Go and never. He said, go and work this out. Go and work this out. In you now, the spirit of life, the spirit of God, resident in you. Now, be free. For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Oh, I deserve to be stoned. I deserve to be stoned at the master's feet. Like that little woman, the rocks should have rained down on me. But the Father's heart was revealed in Christ Jesus. And he didn't want the law to kill us. He wanted the law to shape us. He didn't send the law to be burdensome. He sent the law to guide us. He didn't send the law to put us under some kind of a slavery lifestyle. He sent the law as a gentle nudge to remind us There is a God who has an idyllic standard that he has for man. And the only way in 2018 we can live God's ideal is through God's sacrifice. Through Christ Jesus. Society says don't even try. Religion says beat yourself into submission. But Jesus says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So look at this. Society believes in lawlessness. And lawlessness brings death. Religion believes in rigid legalism. 
and rigid legalism brings death. But Jesus is the spirit of life. And Jesus brings balance. Society says, leave her alone, let her do what she desires. The church says, stone her, she's no good. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go live your life. Live your life to the fullest. Live your life in me. And you'll find that sin is not so much of an issue if you'll live in me. You can stop. Christ fulfilled the law. When he hung on Calvary's cross, he said, it is finished. What was he speaking of? The fulfillment of the handwriting against mankind. The law that brought condemnation upon men trying their best to live for God and find him. Jesus hung between heaven and earth in the balance and said, it is finished. So that little ladies caught in a moment of weakness can find there is mercy in God. So that a drug addict can find a way away from the addiction that keeps them bound. I've got more notes, but I'm done. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. No longer a slave. No longer a cursed sinner. It is finished. I don't have to live another day bound by a demon. I'm, it's finished. I don't have to live another day with sin pulling me into a place so disgusting and vile that I'm ashamed that I even go there. If Jesus went with Colleen down to minister to the strip club, he would walk up to the girl on the pole and say, I don't condemn you. It is finished. Come to me and you can stop sinning. God loves you. He loves you so much. He paid the ultimate price. He did what you could not do. And now has extended you an invitation to come in to his grace. Let him fix what you cannot fix. Let him have your desires and the things that so easily pull you to, away from God will suddenly pull you to him. Father, I thank you for this message today.
But we at Passion Church, Father, we understand that love is what leads the kingdom of God. Not brutal condemnation, but love. We're here to love our, our society. We're here to love our region and our town and our township. We're here to love those, Father, who like this little woman find themselves trapped. Oh, by the spirit of life, we can be released from the walking dead to the living of eternal life in the here and now. That is the heart of Father God. We're so glad you listened to this message today. Our goal is to bring hope, encouragement, and help you win, all while building God's kingdom. At Passion Church, we believe in community. If you would like to partner with us in prayer or giving, then send us a message on Facebook or through our website, passionchurchmo.com. We'd love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry. 